This is the Two Spies Podcast, studying the Bible in a different way. What does the verse say? What is the topic being addressed? How does this affect me today? Go deeper in Scripture. Now the conversation begins with your hosts, David and Mark. We're going to get started again on this podcast at Genesis 6-9. We basically spent the last podcast on just verses 1 through 8. Spent a lot of time talking about uh, Nephilim and the heroes of old and Chimera and all that fun stuff. So uh, looked at some things from Enoch. We w- I just want to go back. We're not going to take time to read all of it. Just go back and, and mention for a moment. Enoch says, these fallen angels or these watchers came down in the days of Jared. So the flood judgment has been coming for about 1,200 years. So the, from if you remember, we talked about a dating system coming from Adam forward. If we count from Adam to the year of the flood, that's 1,656 years. Jared was 1,200 years before the flood. So the watchers, the fallen angels, only waited about 400 years for man to be here before they came down and started messing around with stuff. But uh, to give us a perspective from where we sit right here, knights, kings, popes, burning at the stake, castles, (laughs) moats, and don't forget Islam is only about 200 years old if we go back 1,200 years. Wow. So if you think about all the history that's happened back to uh, that far ago, uh, that would basically be around 800. That's why I say Islam would be about uh, 200 years old. Right. So everything that's happened since then, what do you picture in your mind when you think about the word history? Yeah. (laughs) World wars. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So that's what we're looking at as far as what has happened and why the flood is now coming on us. So, yeah, I, uh, you know, it's funny how I think we've talked about it a few times where uh, when you look at the Bible, we read its chapters, we read verses and, and kind of forget the history, kind of forget the time in between. Yeah. So, you know, you, you read Genesis one through six, you can read it in a day. But this happened in yeah. the course of time, and you forget everything that could have happened or that went on that goes unnoticed. <laughs> One thing before we kind of dive into uh, verse uh, nine and on is, um, you know, the next three chapters really deal with the flood. And I guess we're going to kind of take a look at um, six, seven, and eight as as a whole and, and see what we have Um We'll, we might come back next week and kind of finish off. But, um, you know, there's uh, these thoughts that um, I got into a discussion with other ministers um, about, is the flood worldwide or is it local? And uh, I thought my argument was pretty well done. Um, he said you can't really know if it was local or worldwide. And my thought was, one, um, you know, God told Noah to bring all these animals, you know, into the ark and it wasn't just local, why would he, you know, ask animals to come on the ark? Yeah, you could just, I mean, if God's going to direct them, he could just direct them to go further out and right. say, you know, all you animals go out past the people, I'm going to flood them out and yeah. we'll start over with people. Yeah, so there was that and then there was, um, Jesus talks about, um, we do have to remember, though, uh, the fallen angels, the watchers, were messing right. around with the animal genes, too. Yeah. So God may be saying, like, Noah is still considered pure in his eyes. These animals over here, 
are still pure, I'm going to call them to the ark and kill the rest of the animals that the fallen angels have messed around with. That's a good point. Yeah. I hadn't hadn't ever thought about that one, but that could yeah cover that kind of. Yeah, my my biggest argument for a worldwide flood was um, doing a parallel of Jesus's words and what you read and know in in this in Genesis, where Jesus is um, comparing uh, his second coming in the days of the, in the in the days of Noah. So shall it be like in the days of the Son of Man, and um, you know, without using a commentary. Just using Jesus' own words, um, you know, if you compare and contrast it to, um, if one is a worldwide event, then why isn't the other? I don't think you could say, well, that's not what Jesus meant. Well, he's comparing both events. There's judgment coming, which is part of his comparing. Yeah. Um, comparing judgment to the world. The first time God showed grace and mercy to Noah and his family that we'll find out about. and this time it's only the people that, you know, Jesus and his family, um, in a sense. So, uh, any thoughts on the local and worldwide? Yeah. Everybody will be able to see Jesus come back because the world's flat. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have no many, you, you don't know how many memes and things I've seen the last like several months of yeah. people believing, you know, Shaquille O'Neal, the famous basketball player. Yeah. He believes the world's flat. Um, I saw Kinda some little, uh, I don't know who she was. Some little Spanish Hollywood girl. She's famous now or something. Maybe she's a singer. But she basically uh had something like a, an article or whatever it said, if uh if if I'm found dead in the next year, you'll know it's because I exposed the flat earth. Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> Let's say it's flat and the government's hiding it. <laughs> and who cares? <laughs> well, I just want to say if um if they if if you find out that Bigfoot is uh, fake and I'm dead in the next sixty or seventy years, you know why. <laughs> I'm trying to reveal that, so <laughs> prophetic. Anyway, if I, yeah, if I die in the next hundred years, you'll know why. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> Please continue the research. <laughs> well, you might be dead too, so someone listening will have to continue the research. Yeah. Yeah. What are we talking about? The the worldwide flood or the local flood. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to bring in because I had done some work. And this is extremely arbitrary guessing, math work. And I'm not a mathematician, but so I mean, it took me a long time to work on any of this. <laughs> but I just said to myself, okay, let's try to figure out a possible population. So what I used was uh, Adam and Eve uh, starting at Seth. Just, there's Adam and Eve, that's one couple. And let's say they had Seth. Adam was 130 years old. Let's say they had a kid every five years, which I think they probably had kids more often than that, especially right. in their prime. Yeah. I mean, even though they're having to work for a living now, they're still uh, young and hot and make being fruitful and stuff. Let's say 800 was the 30s. I mean, you know. Yeah. Actually, I stopped their birth rates at 800 years old because they lived to be 930. So I'm going from 130 to 800. Every five years, they have a kid. Every other kid is a boy. Every other one between those is a girl. And just for a second, we don't know who teamed up with who, brothers and sisters, right. yes, but let's say that there, Seth was born when Adam was 130 years old. Seth's wife was the next one. 
we'll just say the next daughter was born was his. There's two couples now yeah. when Adam is 140. Every 10 years, then, you have a new couple. Okay. I just used, uh, since Adam and Eve would have had another two children or whatever at that point, I'm just going to go ahead and say that whole generation of Seth's brothers and sisters, they all had kids at the same age that Seth did. Well, Seth, 105? Yeah. At 105, Seth has Enosh. So I'm going to say also that after 105 years old, Seth and his sister, his wife, they start having kids every five years once they start. Every other one's a boy, boy, girl, boy, girl, boy, girl. And every other sister after the boy is is a, uh, a wife to that one. And I just continued on that way. I stopped all of them at around 800-ish to figure this out. That gives us, uh, let's see, Adam and Eve, one couple. And then I'm counting the couples after that. So there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. And when Seth has Anosh, there are 12 plus Adam and Eve, 13 couples on the earth. Sounds like nothing. We've gone 100 and we're now at year 235, I believe, if I remember right. So if we do all the same thing with, with uh, all of Seth's and his wife's sons, all in the same generation like Enosh, until Enosh has a kid, he's 90, so they're, they're having kids sooner. All of the brothers and sisters of Enosh start having, when they become couples, they start having kids also at 90. That's why I did the math. Anyway, when you do all this out for about 15 or 1,600 years, yeah. you end up with a population, and this is if I did my math right, but you end up with a population about the size of an average uh, Midwestern state, we'll just say Delaware, Indiana, whatever. Right. It's not like we have 7 billion now. <laughs> yeah. So if we want to argue, was it local or worldwide, if the worldwide population hadn't spread out that much, then sure, it's it's local and it's worldwide. That's my point. Right. Like the judgment on the people and the people's death were central in that location, but as far as the earth, it, it rained on the earth. Yeah, and we, we don't know that. Of course, I do have yeah. to say I kind of subscribe to, and I haven't done enough research to guard, to, uh, guard it, to back this up to fight about it, but yeah. I would say that the the concept of the one continent was before the flood, and that split up because of the flood. Right. Yeah, I've heard that argument, yeah. In fact, what is it? Uh, I'm jumping way ahead here. Hadn't, hadn't planned this, sorry. Genesis 10, 25, to Eber was born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for the in his days the earth was divided. So there's... For some reason, there's a, there's, I hadn't done research on when he is, actually. I hadn't placed him in a time, in a time period, but I don't know. There's a, there's a time it's like the earth was divided from what it normally was or originally was. Plus, we know we can't find all the rivers on a map that came out of the Garden of Eden. Things have moved around. Yeah. So that's, that's a whole bunch of speculation, but I'm just, just throwing it out there. Yeah. But on your concept of fossils being worldwide found, that points right back to a worldwide global flood. Right. That is it, yeah. If it's a ball. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, uh, 
let's kind of get into it. Um, verse yeah. nine. Uh, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Um, I think this verse is important in the sense that it sets up what's everything that's going to happen from here on out. Um, really, from here on out to to now, um, because um, you have all these people, you know, speculating, you know, a few thousand, a few million, whatever. Um, still, God only saw one person among yeah. that whole bunch as blameless and righteous. Um, I kind of wrote in my notes that um, righteous deals with man and blameless deals with God. So righteous is more of a moral compass as far as um, I'm doing things right. I'm doing things by a code on which any person can do. But blameless is how God sees you, that um, you're blameless walking in him, not necessarily if you're doing not just because you're doing right morally, yeah. um, but because you have this relationship with God, which follows the. The next sentence, which says, Noah walked with God. Um, so. I wanted to take out for just a moment on this one, uh, the word generations again, because we've already seen this with the generations of the heavens and the earth and the generations of Adam. So I just wanted, I just wondered, so I followed it. Uh, if you remember, the word is uh, toledot, the toledot of the heavens and the earth back in Genesis. And I'm not going to go through all the, I just, I didn't mark it down because I didn't want to bog down. And all the verses for all these, yeah. but I mean, we'll know all these names. The Toledot of the heavens and the earth, and the purpose is seeing what's the next place that's mentioned. The Toledot of Adam, the Toledot of Noah. So we're we're seeing it center down and becoming more specific from the heavens and the earth to Adam. Then we tunnel down to Noah. I've always kind of pictured that that uh, like yes, we're all because you hear somebody say, "Oh, we're all related as the human family." In a sense, we all came from Adam and Eve, and then once the population spread out, we all tunneled back down again. So yeah. I kind of pictured my mind back to Noah and his family. <clears throat> so the next uh, mention of the generations word is the sons of Noah, and then it centers on Shem because the next word, uh, next place that Toledot shows up is Shem. Next place that Toledot shows up is Terah, who had Haran, Abram, and Nahor. So it does not actually tell you the Toledot of Abram because you know. For one thing, I guess, uh, Abram gets the covenant of the land and everything. He gets huge covenants from God, but he has this problem with getting a kid. So it doesn't seem to actually name his his kid, even though we do come to it. The next Toledo is his first son, Ishmael, and then the Toledo of the sons of Ishmael. But it comes back, and it doesn't follow anybody from Ishmael forward. It sticks with the Toledo of Isaac. Then it goes to the Toledot of Esau, which is Isaac's first son, or the the eldest twin, but doesn't give you any Toledot is not found with Esau's or Esau's family. It doesn't follow any of his lines. So Ishmael and Esau are included, but the Bible doesn't follow their generations anywhere. So then it goes to the Toledot of Jacob, the Toledot of the sons of Levi. The Toledot of the sons of Jacob in order. They're on the stones of the priest in birth order. And then they're again in Numbers 1. They're not in birth order. But this is the place that we find the Toledot. The Toledot of Perez, the son of Judah through David, shows up at the end of Ruth. So just looking at it, what is the Bible saying? Is What, what kind of line is it following? Heavens and earth, Adam, Noah, 
Shem, Terah, Isaac, Jacob, Levi, and Judah, down to David. We're coming from the heavens and the earth all the way through, from, from there all the way through to the line we're going to get to for Messiah to come out of. I stopped there. I didn't keep following it all the way through. I think the next mentions were in uh, Chronicles, and they basically reiterate some other stuff, so I didn't want to muddy it up just repeating the same thing. But right. coming from the heavens and earth all the way down through Jacob to Judah to David, we're obviously heading towards Messiah. Just to... Because, again, we've mentioned this before, though, but, like, why are these sons mentioned and not every son? You can't name every single other kid that's sure. born. You know? yeah. So, yeah. let's see. Verse 10, you got anything else on 9? Well, I just I, kind of picking back up, I just think it's interesting that um, uh, you, you oftentimes we think of believers or Christians as uh, if you're morally good or – um, if you have a certain persona or certain characteristics, you do certain things, that's what makes you a believer. And um, I think here in this verse, we find out that that's not even, that's half of the equation, I guess. Um, yeah. But it's mostly about, you know, that part of Noah walk with God. Um, I think it's good, you know, to do morally good things. And um, as far as our humanity, and um, to do the right thing. Um, that were ins- that's instilled in us. We are our brother's keeper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's By a good assignment. point. That's a good point. So I just <clears throat> think it's always interesting that out of all the people, you know, some of these people could have done morally good things, even with the line of Seth, um, you know, the replacement of Abel. But like we talked about, it's not the this uh, good lineage. I mean, they're all wicked and evil. Yeah. And then we and find they, yeah. out they get worse and worse and worse. And for whatever reason, um, Noah just was walking with God when everyone else wasn't. And it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is also the second man, I think, just mentioned to do that. Enoch being the first one, then yeah. Noah yeah. walked with God. Verse 10. Verse 10 is, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. This is the ending of. Uh, chapter 5, He it also tells you there, he had those sons beginning at 500 years old. I wanted to take a second because in in uh, both lists, it's Shem, Ham, Japheth. Shem, Ham, Japheth. Shem is the one we follow to get down to the Hebrews, to get down to Abraham. Shem is not firstborn because he's written first. So I was going to do that for a second, just go through that. Uh, Noah's sons in... Uh, thankfully for you, I'm not going to bog down in, in name <laughs> meanings except for the first one. <laughs> uh, Japheth means opened. So there is a concept of opening. I think there's somewhere in the King James, I, I forget, I don't, I don't read King James, to be honest with you. But there's somewhere in the King James, the terminology is used. This is the one who opened the matrix. So the matrix is, is literally referring to the, the woman's body, the womb. The child who opens the matrix is the firstborn. And that's also going for, that's in the, the law talking about the animals. The firstborn animals, God says, those are mine. Right. But uh, either way, Japheth means opened. Uh, let's see, Genesis 5.32. I'm just going to go through a couple of dates right quick just because just they're all laying here for us to find. 
Genesis 5.32, Noah had sons beginning at 500 years old, and it lists his sons. That is the year 1556. That's, remember, we're going from Adam forward. That's 1556. Genesis 5.32, Genesis 7.6, the flood came when Noah was 600 years old. That is the year 1656. Okay, let's skip over because after we discuss these other two, then by default, Japheth, Yapheth, is the firstborn. He's default the firstborn because Shem is secondborn. Genesis 11.10 says Shem is 100 years old, two years after the flood. And we're going to find here tonight that the flood is 370 days. So if he is two years old, two years after, or excuse me, 100 years old, two years after the flood, and whatever the flood is, and the flood's one year, so 1656, the flood is 1657, it's over. He's 100 years old, 1658, 59. So if you, 1659, subtract his years, he's going to be born in 1559. Noah was 500 years old, and 1556, he started having kids. Then 1559, he had some other kid because he was still having kids. We don't know how long he waited between them. Right. Looks like between the oldest, Japheth, or Japheth, and Shem, there's three years. Then you flip over. Well, I didn't write the verse down. It's for Ham. Uh, I'm in Genesis 9. Where is it? I wrote down the phrase but went forth these were the three sons of Noah the third generation of began to be the soul he drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent and Ham the father of Canaan saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside blah blah those two sons went in walked backwards covered his nakedness sorry I'm reading through the whole thing <laughs> then Noah woke awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him so Ham is the youngest Yafith means opening. Ham is the youngest by just stating it. Shem is the second born. Um, he would be basically 97 years old when the flood started, but just by doing the math of what's in the, the verses for us. Again, though, this goes with, and one reason I was looking for this one day is this goes with uh, man's culture, and, you know, at least in the Middle East, and we don't really play on that a whole lot here in our culture, but the firstborn is not, the, the greatest thing in the world. In our culture, we kind of say every kid is, is all equal. I love them all equal. That's right. what a dad and a mom would say. But uh, in the Middle Eastern culture, you got a little difference there on the firstborn. And some things in the law of Moses here, he's written down that the firstborn is going to get double portion. So if, if a father dies, he gets double portion. So if you have five kids, then you're going to split everything in sixes, and two of those sixth go to the, the firstborn. But God says, no, and we have tons of secondborns and seventh and ninthborns and just not firstborns who actually get the blessing. In fact, to go back and look at these people that we just now named, Shem is not, I don't know, Terah probably is, Adam, Noah probably are both are. Shem is not. Abram is not. Isaac is not. Jacob is not. Levi is not. Judah is not. David is not. 
all these people who were following their line through the, we're following their generations. They're total adult. They're not the firstborns. <laughs> and these are, that's not the ending of it right there. You're stopping at, <laughs> stopping at David. I mean, who's the king after David? Solomon, not the firstborn. <laughs> so let's see. Anything, you got anything yourself on 10? No. Uh, verse 11, uh, the earth was corrupt uh, in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. Um, <clears throat> you know, I just put the earth was in ruin or uh, destruction, and um, it was messed up. It was crazy. It was wild. <laughs> no. I put, uh, you know, I emphasized and highlighted uh, God's sight, meaning um, while. People were living their life and probably didn't think too much of it other than, hey, this we're, this is life. This is yeah. what we're doing. Um, but in God's view, um, God's perspective, um, they were doing evil things, wicked things. And yeah. it always brings me back to a level of, you know, we might think we're doing the right thing, but sometimes God might consider it wrong. If that makes sense. Yeah. So I just highlighted that it was through God's sight that the world was living a wicked life. Yeah. Let's see. I'll be ready to go on to 14, which I think is where you want to go. I'll say uh, verse 12 just reiterates verse 11. Um, reveals everyone's corrupt and re- revealing that they were doing it themselves. God didn't lead them that way. People were just turning over um into their own world and, yeah. and sinful state we had also um, referred to this back in last podcast too because we grabbed the detail of all flesh had corrupted their way and, yeah. and the detail there that is actually opened a little bit more in detail in enoch is that this includes birds and reptiles and fish and all kind of kinds yeah. of other flesh <coughs> well i know when people think of this you know, what's about to happen as far as people dying and the flood and, and all this, like, how could God do such a thing? And, you know, I think of it as God's quote, destroying something that's already being destroyed. Huh? Yeah. I mean, people are already destroying themselves and um, God sees the wickedness and he just destroys what they're already destroying. So he just kind of fast or, speeds up this process yeah almost an act of mercy i would think in a weird way um but i I guess if we consider the the possible truth of some of the stories we talked about last podcast if because some of the uh the worldwide stories about what these gods were doing to humanity yeah humanity considered themselves slaves to the gods and two of these kings and half-breeds were uh they, 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 for some reason, like we discussed, they either, either the, the quote unquote gods, the Elohim or whatever they were chose King lines or who they chose to mate with became King lines. They became lines of royalty. And it seems like maybe on the second one, if the ones that became strong and powerful physically and more, um, intellectually capable. If they utilized that like men usually would to take over other people, (laughs) that would kind of feed that. So, yeah, God would be having some mercy on on the whole situation everywhere. Yeah. Uh, Verse 13, um, I just 
put that the word end could also mean cut off, which um, is words that Jesus often used in dealing with uh, people living a sinful life. You'll be cut off. Um, so here he uses the same words God uses. Um, and I put that God will destroy the people with the earth, meaning he's not going to um, destroy them by his word or um, by his sword. He's going to use the earth and the elements of earth and the elements of his creation to cause this judgment. So, anything mm-hmm. on 13? No, and I, I, honestly, I don't. Yeah, I guess I'm being quiet for what I normally would be, but <laughs> um, some of these things we already hashed out. I just don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to waste uh, 30 minutes on something we've already spent two hours last podcast on. But yeah, they're yeah. you're right, just reiterating over and over again. Yeah, God's opinion about what's going on here. <clears throat> so 14, verse 14. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. And set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood uh, of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, which which is the breath of life. Excuse me, all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. I'll stop there. I just wanted to con- completely cover the measurements and stuff of the ark. Yeah. So when you look at the word ark, <coughs> you get several different meanings chest, casket, basket, boat. Um, one of the words I thought was interesting was Moses um, used or floated in the ark which I would consider, you know, a chest, perhaps, um, or a basket, obviously. But I'm going to say it again now? Moses. Did, he was placed in an ark. He was placed in an ark. Ark, yeah. like a basket for safety. You know, yeah. they're coming to kill all these babies, and he's placed in the ark, and he goes, you know. and Yeah. There's some kind of symbolism for me there as far as um, Noah's in an ark. Um, safety because, you know, judgment's. Well, there's a similar word in the Egyptian language in regard to the ark, and it can also mean coffin, which I thought was kind of interesting. That will circle back around. I didn't know that. Oh. That's going to talk about what, what, what I found. Okay. Well, I, I was just <laughs> going to say that, you know, thinking, you know, why would Noah go in a coffin? And that made me think of the symbolism as far as dying and the rebirth, the born again yeah. concept. Um away from judgment and, and God bringing us back to a new life. I was going to do the, uh, the, I found this in some of my Talmud notes and it really sparked uh, some thinking to go further with it. We, and, and we, I don't think we've said this on the podcast, but we either will, or I'll say it right now. <laughs> uh, the, the Eastern or the, the Middle Eastern, I should say, the Middle Eastern mind on something like uh, prophecy or a picture type or whatever is going to layer on forward and keep rolling forward and keep going. So a prophecy is going to be said, it's going to happen one day. It's expected to happen again. It's expected to happen again. In our, our Western mind, we think a prophecy is stated. It happens. Close the book, put that one on the shelf. Another prophecy is stated. It happens. Close the book, put it on the shelf. But no, it's, uh, in our mind, we put it on the shelf and we leave it there. In the Hebrew mind, they would say, 
oh, prophecy, write it down. Okay, it happened. I get the book off the shelf and mark a, a one by it and put it back on the shelf. Oh, it happened again to get the book back off the shelf and put a two by it. But so I just wanted to kind of go on the fact that they see it as a, I'm not sure how I should state it, uh, a multi-layered picture type that keeps pushing forward. So the Talmud notes were basically Noah foreshadows Moses. Moses foreshadows the people of Israel or the people of God. So they stop there. Why? Who does the people of Israel foreshadow? Right. <laughs> so as I, st- I kept working with it a little bit, kept looking at it, um, Noah and Moses were both saved from judgment in uh, by, uh, a judgment upon a generation by a Tebot. And that Talmud note basically points out that Noah was coming through water. That foreshadows Moses coming through water. Moses coming through water foreshadows the people of Israel coming through water. The other thing, if you want to restate it, Noah escaping judgment foreshadows Moses escaping judgment. Moses escaping judgment foreshadows the people of Israel escaping judgment. So if we keep foreshadowing forward, who does the people of Israel foreshadow? They have the Old Testament, which they don't call it that, but the Old Covenant being the law which is calling for Messiah to come answer the payment of the law, the, the required payment of the law, which Jesus did as Messiah. What happened after that? The foreshadowing of Noah, foreshadowing Moses, foreshadows the people of God, foreshadows the church. And Paul tells us in the New Testament, the church is the, uh, the peak mystery of God revealed to the world. This is how he's revealing himself. Yeah. So, of course, it gets deeper. Um, Noah is coming through water, foreshadowing Moses coming through water, foreshadowing the people of Israel coming through water, foreshadowing the church coming through water. So we have a a water baptism. Right. That's cool. Okay. So Moses comes through, or excuse me, Noah comes through the water and escapes judgment in an ark, in in a boat. Right. That's foreshadowing Moses coming through water and escaping judgment, which he comes through in a basket. That foreshadows the people of Israel coming through water and escaping judgment. What's the boat? What's the basket? What was the judgment is the question that I had to find. The judgment on Noah was worldwide, all people. The judgment on Moses was all babies or all, excuse me, all boys. Then there was a firstborn son judgment. How did they escape that? The lamb, the Passover lamb. Right. If we keep following all this forward, if the people of Israel foreshadow the church who comes through water, who escapes judgment, what is the Passover lamb foreshadow? What is our boat, our basket, our Passover lamb? That's the lamb of God. Hmm. So that's, cool. I, that's what I found right before I went to work. And I was honestly, I was jacked up this morning when I found that. I was yeah, like, that's that, pretty cool. That's great. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are because you, you talked about how, um, People put in the prophecies and mark a one by it and put it on the shelf and it happens again. So what would your rebuttal be as far as uh, Jesus fulfilling prophecies and no one else is going to fulfill those? You know what I mean? Like there's not another one coming, if that makes sense. They can try, I guess. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> here's the thing. If if a prophecy is done and redone, and maybe, I, I, maybe I'll, I'm going to backtrack on my own statement for my defense. 
<laughs> if in the uh, Jewish mind, prophecy is repeated again and again and again, but in the Western mind, prophecy is done once, the church, which was what came after Jesus fulfilling those prophecies, right. the church is primarily Western-minded because it's Gentile. Yeah. So, bam, there's my, <laughs> there's my defense. I was going to say, you know, a lot of people think of prophecy as foretelling only. Like here, here's the yeah. futuristic events. And, yeah. And I think part of what you're talking about also is not just foretelling events, but um, speaking God's word with boldness or foreshadowing God's word through, um, you know, continuations, you know, I agree with you in that context though. What I was trying to get at was just a, fore, a foretelling of a future. Event. Yeah. But yes, I do agree yeah. with you. Speaking yeah. the word of God is prophecy. Yeah. I'm curious. This is, we're going to go way off. Uh, I'm glad I got notes. I yeah, can right. Come back. Yeah, to I know exactly. <laughs> but I was talking to someone today, and, and uh, there's a person in our church who um, believes that God has completely uh, pushed Israel away when when Jesus came and gave his last messages to the Jews, and they rejected, killed him, um, and then he sends all these guys to the Gentiles. Okay, you know, now it's open to the Gentiles, and up comes the church. So this person believes that um, churches, God's plan, God's instrument, God's you know Israel, so to speak, and and um, he he discounts Israel because um, you know it's atheistic and and so forth. And me and this other person, he was telling me his discussion with that church person, and so he asked me what I thought. <laughs> And just kind of like, because you you brought up the the foreshadowing as far as Israel and the church, yeah. And sometimes when when we think of prophecy or or when you think of the foreshadowing, it's like when this happened, then it um, pushes away the other ones, the other ones closed, right? And I told the person that um, I I think the church rose up. I mean, the church rose up because um, you know Israel or the Jews rejected their Messiah. But I don't believe that God has fully rejected Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I look at Hosea and that concept of, okay, you cheated on me. Now I want to go buy it back. Um, obviously, in Revelation, um, God's coming back for Jerusalem. He's going to defend Jerusalem. That's where he's going to make his kingdom. Yeah. Um, and, like, you know, I've heard arguments where the 12 apostles are going to replace the 12 tribes of Israel, which I don't really agree with. Um, uh, how is that? Just because, like I was just saying, Israel has rejected God. The 12 tribes of Israel are gone with it. So the church is kind of like 12 tribes of the apostles in a way? Yeah, I, okay. I would say so. So just, I mean, wondering what your thoughts are, because you talked about the What do you do with thing. the 70th week of Daniel, which hasn't happened yet? Well. And it's tied to Israel, not the church. <laughs> Israel is the time clock of the earth, as far as I understand it in the Bible. Everything is happening with Israel. This is a time for Gentiles to trample the courtyard of in Jerusalem. But that time will come to an end. Yeah. God is not finished with the Jew. The Jew, the time clock and the things that were told to Daniel stopped for a time. It's an indefinite time as far as the statement there. But uh that's there that's the time of the harvest. And looking at at Moses's uh Talking about harvest, looking at the the feast of Moses, the first two are specifically for, or the first I think it's three are for Jews, and once Pentecost or Shavuot starts, 
that is a time of harvest. And if you, that's primarily Leviticus 23, Deuteronomy 16, I think it is when they're stated again. And you have your main three mentioned there, the third one being Shavuot, or Tavisa Trumpets, is the, uh, the Gentiles are, are welcome in that one. It's not specifically just Jewish and limited. But you see there this, this time of harvest is kind of really open until the trumpet blows. Hmm. I, I just, there, there's no closing off. I don't see a closing off. Yes, as far as uh, is the church the peak revelation of God, that's about God. That's not about man. Yeah. And he is revealing himself in stages as we go through the Bible. And he's revealed it. He, I kind of say primarily the God the Father is revealed in the Old Testament. Through the uh, Gospels, God the Son is revealed primarily. And the, and the Holy Spirit is revealed from Acts on through all the letters primarily. Revelation yeah. is a culmination of all three of them being seen for what they are openly. But there's this progression of revelation that God gives to us and his plan for relationship with man. He has a plan for relationship, and he's working that around because he used to have a great relationship with us until we messed up and ate you know, the pear. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> off, the, off the apple tree. <laughs> <laughs> I always call it an onion. I don't care. Because <laughs> it's got layers. Yeah, I don't care. It's, it's like an ogre. <laughs> <laughs> After they ate the ogre fruit, they were kicked out. Stupid ogre. But, I mean, uh, I have looked at uh, disposition a little bit. I don't really want to go into disposition, but I kind of state it like this, that uh, we used to have a relationship with God where it's like a boy and his dad out in the yard throwing a ball. And it's fun and it's easy. All you have to do is catch the ball and throw it back. And then wait, and the person who catches it throws it back to the other one. And that's the relationship. And I mean, picture this. The grass is green, the sun is shining, the sky is blue. The birds in the trees are singing, and, and it's a little bit breezy, and they're having a great time, and it's a, it sounds like a little boy laughing. Put that in your head. That's, that's the relationship we used to have. After we messed up, we made it into something different, and it became, uh, I use this sometimes, I guess, too much, but it get, became a game of checkers. And the game of checkers was, okay, y'all are out of here. And we're looking at about you know Adam t- to Noah time. And as we go on through, we see that checkers game gets harder and harder. Uh, eventually, God comes to this guy named Moses and teaches him this other game called chess. And that's the law, and that's our relationship with him. And there's this really strict code of you cut the animal this way, you drain the blood out over there, you throw some of the blood against this altar, and the guy who does it has to wear these particular clothes. It's the game of chess. <clears throat> and then Messiah comes along, dies on a cross to pay for our sins and complete the whole game of chess. And he says, let's get back outside and play ball. And some people now have a, everybody has a choice now. Some people will say, okay. They look out the window. The sun is shining again. It's been stormy. That's why they went inside to play chess. <laughs> <laughs> but they go back outside and they have a good time with Jesus and they throw ball again. The birds are singing again. It's a great day again. But there's some people who look out the window and say, I don't care if the sun is shining. I'm going to beat this old man. <laughs> and they're, they're in a way, you know, arrogant and almost hateful with a God that they're going to beat him. Yeah. And they continue to work the law. They don't want to go outside and play ball. I'm not leaving this chess table till I whoop you. 
<laughs> and they're not gonna you're not gonna whoop God in right. chess. No. You know, and that's the Moses law. You're not gonna whoop God in the law. You're not gonna offer enough things. You're not gonna work enough good works to pay for everything. You're not gonna do it. Yeah. Um, so that's that's how I kind of look at a real simplistic way of saying the dispensation is of God's relationship with us and the revealing of himself goes with those dispensations in a way. Yeah. But he revealed himself in this way that ultimately, why is the church the end game of that? God living in man. Yeah. Well, like, he didn't do that uh, with the old old ways, the old covenants. Yeah. I, would, I mean, I would con- play on words, but I would consider Israel part of the church or the church part of Israel. Just because we're called the church and Israel is called Israel, I don't think it matters because we're all God's bride. We're all part of the body of Christ. And we see, you know, Paul countlessly showing us that in the, you know, the new Testament, the commentary of the old Testament talking about, you know, um, the Back whole purpose. on your Hosea idea though, I see Israel more as God's wife and the church more as Jesus's bride, not a married bride yet. There's right. no marriage supper yet, but yeah. back on the Hosea idea, there's God saying, I'm going to go back and redeem my cheating wife again. Yeah. In the end, yeah, there is. I used to think there were three or two groups in the Bible, saved and unsaved. That's that's your common evangelical teaching. But there are three different groups in the Bible: the Jews, the Gentiles, and the Church. And Jews and Gentiles can both come out of what they are into the Church. There you go. So that makes sense. In in the end, there's there's the third group, and that is the peak revelation of God. But He didn't come live in people, in in the Gentile world, he didn't come live in people in the Jewish world. His ultimate end goal, which he did tell through the Old Testament, is I'm going to come live in your heart. Uh, Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel, I think, 16, that I'm going to come pay for your sins, and I will write on your heart, your stony hearts. I'll take your stone heart out, give you a heart of flesh, and I'll write your law, the law on your heart. Yeah. But he's telling you, I'm going to come do all this. And then you got Jesus sitting there, John 14, saying, uh, I'm going to send the helper to you. You know him. He is with you, which is Jesus sitting there at the table with him, with them. He will be in you. So the ultimate goal of God is to live within man and change us from the inside out. That is the church. Yeah. Well, even thinking of that is, you know, from Adam to Noah, where we are now in Genesis None of them are Jews. No, there's not a single Jew here yet. <laughs> so, you know, people could argue with me, but technically the first Jew is Abraham, and that's where the Jewish lineage starts. But, yeah, Noah's not a Jew, technically. Um, I've read before that the word Hebrew comes from Eber, which is over in Genesis 10. Um, Let's see. If we talk backward from, where's his name at? Abraham, Terah, Nahor, Seru, Greu, Peleg, and Eber. That far back would be the first Hebrew, Ibri. Huh. The, the Hebrew word for Hebrew is Ibri. So that would be his name right there. I think it's, it's spelled identical. Um, kind of going back to verse, kind of whittling back in and, and going back to verse 14. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I'm not finished with coffins yet. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Though. Okay. Uh, just because I, I thought to myself, uh, 
we need to distinguish the words. So Mo- Noah was in a tebot. Moses was in a tebot. One is an ark, a huge, massive boat. One's a basket. Both are covered in pitch. By chance, just so you know, the words for pitch and tar, et cetera, are different words. <laughs> <And> most, <laughs> I, I wonder one day, I thought, surely they're the same word, but no, they're not. <laughs> then you got, uh, let's see. Went through that, went through that. The Ark of the Covenant. That's what I want to look at. Because the two English words, which are Ark, that comes from a Latin word, Arca, meaning box or coffin, etc. But that word in Moses' uh, covenant, Ark of the Covenant, is Aaron. I just looked to say, no, it's not confu- not be confused with Aaron, which is Acharon. Got a little extra uh, hey in there, a little extra breath. Let's see. The first mention of the word iron, the box, is when Joseph dies in Egypt, he is embalmed and then placed in an iron. So it is a coffin there. When you come up out of Egypt, don't leave me down here, is basically what he's saying. So what I started looking at was what is uh, Joseph's iron, what does his coffin have to do with the Ark of the Covenant, the iron of the Covenant? Um. He says, when you come up out of Egypt, don't leave me down here. Many people might call this a prophecy, but Joseph, Joseph, as far as I'm concerned, he's not prophesying. He is believing in covenant. He reasons out and believes God promised my great-grandfather, God promised my grandfather, and God promised my father that we would get that land as an inheritance. And I know I'm sitting on a throne down here as the number one guy ruling the number one power of the world, right, you know, he's, I shouldn't say number one guy. He's right under Pharaoh ruling the number one power of the world. But he says, I still believe what God said. We're going to go back one day. So don't leave me down here. So he believes in covenant and they place him in an iron. Moses comes out of Egypt and God says to him, make an iron and place my covenant in it. So he places the 10 commandments in the same thing. So I just started looking at this word. Aaron is basically linked with covenant hmm. more than, more than a, a coffin. It's not really a prophecy. Yes. It's a coffin that's holding his, his bones and stuff, but he's, he's kind of saying, put me in this and don't forget me down here. Don't leave me down here. I'm going back to our homeland. When we come out, he hmm. believed that. So let's see. Make it out of, uh, <laughs> I'd say gopher. Basically, it's thought to be cipher wood. Uh, Aze is wood. Gopher is the kind of wood. This is a, a you know, just a funny side story, puppets. At my old church, I did puppets. When I first started doing puppets there, um, there was a woman, Valley Bruton, who wrote all the puppet scripts. And she could look in the Bible and find something like this story of worldwide judgment and write the funniest puppet script. And she would go through the Bible and do this all the time, and she had the greatest ideas. So uh, she would give them to me. She would write them far ahead of time and give them to me and give me opportunity to look through them. So, like, I think something I did, there was a, there was an alligator in one. So I just decided this alligator, it was about alligator shoes or something. And I forget how she tied into the scripture. That's, that's not really important yeah. to this conversation, but... Like for so every time we had a script with the alligator in it, I had decided this character, this alligator, was from Louisiana. 
<laughs> so I would study French all week and try to get the accent in my mind. And, and I'm only speaking English in the script, but for the Sunday morning puppet script with this alligator on my hand sticking out there, <laughs> I'm using a French accent. So <laughs> every time we did the same characters, we'd have the same accent, the same whatever. So, uh, but she, one of the first ones that I remember ever doing, she had written was, uh, I think I was Shim and I was talking to another guy, a character who was Noah. And, uh, he, he tells me to go get some gopher wood. And I say, all I ever do is go for wood. <laughs> <laughs> I go for this and I go for that. <laughs> so whenever I read this, I've never forgotten about <coughs> gopher wood. That's funny. <laughs> uh, so in a, on a serious note, though, <laughs> seriously, folks, seriously. <laughs> uh, in a study of trumpets in Revelation, I came across the word sulfur and I look at it. And uh, sulfur ends up being, of course, uh, in the Old Testament, it's linked to, I mean, well, every time you come across some kind of bird or stone or uh, gem or whatever, they're not exactly sure sometimes what the translations are, but you follow sulfur across. In the Old Testament, sulfur is gofrit, and the root of gofrit is gofir, which is the same kind of wood the ark was made out of here in, in Genesis 6.14. Um, let's see, I'm reading some outtake from some of the work I've done before, so I don't want to read it all to you. In as far as translating words from one culture to, or from one language to another, and I'll use Korean as one example, I'll use a couple of different examples here, maybe in, in the mouth, D and T are made in the same place. So you may come to another language where things transfer over where a D and a T are the same letter. So like in Korean, you have D and T, they are the same letter. <laughs> There's not two different distinctions. So even though we think they're different, they're not exactly different. P and B, slightly different only, but they're the same letter in Korean. There is a hard PB and a, a, a soft PB, <laughs> but they're still both, depending on how they fall in, this, in the word, they're still pronounced P or B. So... J, like a J, and ch, like ch. They don't have a ch. They don't do combinations like we do ch, dr, sh, that kind of stuff. So, but the, the ch, if they're going to translate up or transliterate an uh, English word that has a ch sound, they're going to say it at the same letter, chu. There is a, a soft chu and a hard chu, <laughs> but both of them are used for j's or ch sounds when they're trying to pronounce another word, another language that has a J in it. So uh, Qs and Ks are often interchangeable. In Spanish, you have Vs and Bs. In fact, one of the proper pronunciations I was taught in high school for in Spanish class was uh, making your mouth in the shape of B while you say V, V, and you'll get this middle ground of VB. You also have that in, uh, in Hebrew right here, the V and the B, same letter. So depending on what what transliteration, like a pronunciation guide you see, you may see that same letter bet written out as a V or written out as a B. Hmm. Uh, let's see. The F, a lot of languages don't have Fs. They have Ps or PHs, which Hebrew is one right here. It has Pe, and a Pe will either be written out and when I try to do your pronunciation guide as a P or a PH. So Korean. L and R are the same word, same letter. There's no 
similarity there in the mouth at yeah. all. But the letter they use for that is called lir. If you just you know spell the let, not name of the letter L E E R. So the beginning of the letter starts with L, ends with an R. If you're pronouncing a word, this letter starts the word. It's pronounced like L. If it's in the flow of the word, in the midst of the word, it's pronounced R. So example, in English, really, it's very very difficult. If you you'll hear Koreans, if you ever hear them speak in English, when they if they're new. Or they haven't tried to clean it up, they're still going to say literally. <laughs> they're going to say literally instead of really. Wow. And that's because they're, that same letter in their, in their alphabet is this, both those combined. So that's crazy. Well, while you were talking about that, I just kind of wonder what being Korean, how would they say chew? Would they say jew or jew? Chew. Like we use a ch, like you're chewing bubblegum. Yeah. But if they use a j, would it sound like a jew? Yeah. Or would it sound like a. Yeah. That's why uh, it, it's a. Uh, Sorry, just here's kind an old, of random. Here's an old racist joke. Let's bring it out. <laughs> I don't forget. I don't remember the whole thing, but the punchline basically is these two guys go in a restaurant and some Chinese restaurant or something, and they're asking if they have any Chinese juice back there. And they and the way the Chinese waiter goes, uh, Chinese juice. Um, I go look. He comes back. He says, uh, We don't have no Chinese juice. We have a uh, grape juice. We have any names to mango juice. He goes through all this. He says, "No, I mean, like, do you have Chinese juice?" <laughs> and the guy never gets it. So uh, either way, <laughs> we get the difference. But my wife, I mean, uh, humor is not something that easily translates. But that situation is so familiar to us. When we heard that joke, I told it to her. She got it immediately because we we struggle with the word juice. And Jews all the time. <laughs> I'll say something is juicy, and she'll say it's Jewish. No, it's not. This is not a Jewish strawberry. It's a juices, juicy strawberry. <laughs> so anyway, back on track. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> back on track with gopher wood. <laughs> Go for wood. The whole point of this was that G and K, G, K, are in the same place in the mouth. So, uh, some of these words that are translated from the, uh, I shouldn't say translated. These are related in root. Gopher wood is gopher, cover or covering is, uh, or excuse me, verb to cover. Kafarta, pitch. Kafer. That's a, I mean, it's a K to us. It's a different letter in the, in the Hebrew, but. The G and the K, these root words. If you picture the the gopher wood, gopher as G, P H, R, and the covering or to cover kafarta. If you'll picture it as K P H R, so the root of that or K P H R T, the root of that would be K P H R pitch because he tells him he to go make an arc of gopher wood. Kafarta it, cover it with pitch, cover it with kofer, K-P-H-R. Later on, we have Moses' Ark of the Covenant, which is not a tebat, (laughs) (laughs) but the top of it is called the kafaret. The kafaret is the covering. It is K-P-H-R. So go for wood, G-P-H-R, cover to a verb. K-P-H-R, pitch, 
like asphalt or tar, KPHR. The mercy seat, the, ba- the root is KPHR. Sulfur, gofrit, GPHR. <laughs> so we have two you know, variations, G and K there, but it's gofer and kofer <laughs> altogether. So we, like the Day of Atonement is uh, Yom Kippur, K-I-P-P-U-R. P-P-H is the same exact letter. So, mercy, the day of mercy, Yom Kippur, the mercy seat, the Keferet. These are all related, so you can see the kind of tie through them right there. <clears throat> In saying that, gopher wood, a covering, or excuse me, gopher wood and kofir pitch. I personally think I could go with that translational suggestion of cypress wood, but I do think it's a sappy wood. Pine of some kind would do really good with that if you picture. So you cut a pine tree, what happens? It starts bleeding out all this sap. It gets really sticky. You don't want to get it on you. If you were to cut a bunch of logs into just, you just squared them into square beams and you started building your ship with that and they're pine trees and let's say they're fresh cut and they're bleeding all over the place and you, you stack one on top of another, on top of another, on top of another they're going to glue themselves together and become more waterproof just by the nature of what tree you chose, this gopher tree, whatever kind it is. And then he wants you to kafarta it with kofir, cover it with pitch or tar to waterproof it. I just, I just think there's a neat detail here that really gives us, uh, God thought it out. (laughs) Okay. Let's see. Same word for atonement. Gopher was gopher. I'm trying to get fast. I just told you off the top of my head. I'm going to try to get to my notes. I'll tell you the same thing. So it's the same word for atone, to atone for or pay for sin. Only those who were covered, who were atoned for, had their sin atoned for. Only those who were covered, as in kafartad, in the ark. Only those people were atoned for. The people who were not inside the ark were not covered. They were not atoned for. Hmm. So all the people outside the ark die. I mean, real easy there. Yeah. Let's see. The Ark of the Covenant held the tablets of the law. The law was covered by the mercy seat. It is covered, kofir, by the kofirit, by the mercy seat. So the law which is what we're required to do, is covered by mercy. Mercy is above it. And, and God didn't say, take off the ark, take off the covering of the ark. I want to come meet with you. It says in the, you know, in the Moses Torah that God came to meet with him above the mercy seat. I have seen pictures also, two renderings of the mercy seat, the two cherubim on top, one wing of each if you picture them on the same side is meeting one another, like a back of a seat, the other two wings are coming forward, like the arms of a seat. And that this supposedly Moses, uh, Ark of the covenant would be the throne of Jesus. And these two cherubim would be the back and, and armrest of the throne. Huh. I want to say also, I had heard this from a teacher who said, you throw blood at the foot, at the base of the front of it, and on the covering. So where he would sit and where his feet would be. 
where he would sit down and where his feet would be if he sat on it like a throne that would be covered in blood. Hmm. Let's see. I was going to go to specific measurements if you have anything else before that. Uh, I just, verse 17, that one thing I'll put in there was, uh, God destroys the flesh where, bre- where the breath of life resides. Uh, to me, it indicates that when we die, the breath or the soul does go somewhere. He's just killing the flesh. Yeah. So it seems to indicate that we do have a soul and that it does go somewhere else. Yeah. So it still exists somewhere. Yeah. Um, Verse 18, I just mentioned, it's the first mention of a covenant yep. with God and mankind. Yeah. Um, it brings a good salvation starting point, re- revealing God's redemption plan to mankind. I mean, because of Noah, his family is saved. I mean, um, going on speculation, but based on what the Bible says, I mean, I would say Noah and his family were within mankind as far as being wicked um, because Noah's the one that found favor. What do you mean? Say that again now. They were within mankind? <laughs> they were They were part of this wickedness. They were a part of um, doing what they all wanted. But it was Noah that found favor with God. And because Noah okay. found favor with God, the family was brought also in. brought under that. I yeah. mean, I don't know if that's for sure. but Well, just- I don't know where it's at in my notes. I guess we'll come across it. But we had discussed this already with uh, first or second incursions of the giants. Because they were there in in those days and after. Right. So how did that happen? And we had discussed, all we know is that God is claiming Noah is the one who's right. We don't know about the bloodlines of his wife. And since we don't know about that, we can't say about his sons. And since we don't know about them, we also don't know about the bloodlines of his son's wives. Right. There's no telling where they came from and what kind of genes they have in them. (laughs) Yeah. So. So apparently we find out that the only, I mean, the only reason, but the main reason why Noah and his family was saved was for the produ- for the production of mankind to continue. Yeah. yeah. Um, so God just saw Noah and said, okay, there's one person that still wants that relationship with me that um, is, is being obedient to me. Mankind's worth saving. Yeah. And so he's like, okay, take your family because... I want to give you a shot. I'm going to give you another chance. I won't destroy, you know, I'm getting ahead of myself, but we're, I'm not going to destroy the land this way again. Um, you found favor, um, et cetera. So, yeah. um, and I think also here, Noah's not just on the art to survive. He's on the art for a purpose uh, to bear um, God's message or to bear, uh, I can't think of the word right now. Um, to kind of carry the burden of God to teach everyone um, the concept of God. So you mean all these people after the flood would have this story about a flood? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, so yeah. I, just make you know, he's not there just to survive, just yeah. to ride it out. He's yeah. there with a purpose. But I was going to say, uh, talking about uh, we've we've done this a whole lot already in just the first six chapters of the Bible, literal or not. I want to look at the measurements of the ark for just a second. I consider it literal. Yeah. And um, so our length of 300 cubits, breadth being width of 50 cubits, height of 30 cubits. That translates to 450 feet long, 
75 feet wide and 45 feet high. And for our Russian listeners, <laughs> 150 meters long, 25 meters wide, and 15 meters in height. If you want to go outside, if you want to see, uh, uh, I mean, I guess there's different ways you can you can walk this off. But you need to go out sometime and walk this space off. I mean, pick pick a good open parking lot. Start at one end where you know the grass is, and there's a curb. So when you get far away, you can look back and see, and you know, easy. But walk off 450 feet, or get you a, a walking wheel that can wheel off how far you've gone. Get you a start in a corner somewhere of the parking lot and walk first sideways for uh, 45 feet. Excuse me, 75 feet, and then walk 450 feet perpendicular to that look back and see how how big this this thing is and your average uh power lines out in the regular streets are going to be around 30 ish feet high so you're going to basically look at the height of the power lines take a half measurement you know halfway up it and add that to the top of it and look above that you're going to get your your average 40 to 45 feet look but um you can read this and you can say oh that's big Go outside and walk it off and look back at the space you just walked past and get it in your head. Well, I was going to say, you you visited the Ark in Kentucky. Yeah. Now, their measurements, they, they pretty much try to do exactly. They're like six feet wider. I think the, the, the length is, I want to say, 60 feet longer. But if you look at the measurement or the uh the design they use because they're trying their best to figure out how ships may have been made then. Right. They're trying to mimic that architecturally, but also to make it good looking architecturally, I guess. Sure. So there is kind of, it's not a fin, but it's like a, uh, and I don't know the, the proper wording, but you would have, I think it's a keel. A keel would be a center line down the bottom of the boat. They have three keels made and traditional boats in that time, which were already being made would be, with one single keel, but uh, they they kind of address that and say we have theorized we believe that Mo, uh, Noah probably made three keels on the bottom of the boat, so when it came to rest, it would sit level. Oh. <laughs> Real easy, but the middle keel goes out kind of big in the front, and then it's like a big huge uh, wave or fan in the back. Yeah. So that adds oh. a little bit of of distance. It. It's enough if you could count that off. The interior would be the same. Like I, I guess I was asking because I mean, since it's I guess close enough, but it's still gigantic. Do you have any thoughts that when you saw that you were like kind of taken back and yeah, realize it's, it's huge? It's awesome. <laughs> if you want to sit back and look at it from the outside before you go in, it's in uh, I think it's Williamstown, Williamstown, Kentucky. If you take a trip there, there's a couple little hotels right there near it, and. uh you park out in the parking lot, you buy a ticket, they bust you into it. So they bring, it's, it has been planned like a little bit of a presentation. So you come into this wooded area, you top this hill and cut this curve, and, and the view of it opens up at once, the way the, the approach is. So you can be like, oh, man, look at that. You can hear everybody on the bus go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so you get out, you walk up to the side of it. There is a huge door built on the side of it. And there's this huge walkway, uh, plank walkway up to the side of it. Like they, I think they literally built that and they left it in place for you to see possibly how Noah would have loaded it 
but also they probably built that first to start tracking in stuff to build it inside themselves, literally. Yeah. So Noah builds a huge boat ready to take off when the water comes up under it. They built one that's made on concrete pylons because it's made to stay in place. Yeah. yeah. But otherwise, they'd have to keep changing the address of where it's at for people to find it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm also curious – obviously we have a different perspective because we're kind of looking at it like a museum and we kind of know the story, but I kind of wonder, you know, if you were, if you were in this time and you see a guy building this humongous boat, yeah, I mean, what in the world would you be thinking? Like you're not going to be going fishing for, you know, yeah, nothing to hold that. And all these animals are, Coming to you, I mean, I'm just kind of curious what these people were thinking. Like, see, they do some skits and stuff. You can stomp off in this one little area and watch this TV playing this or a video repeated over and over again. But it's to explain to you questions like that. These uh, people come out from a local town. They're making fun of him, but they're also asking him questions, kind of like uh, modern to that time, like they are the press. So uh, this girl comes out, she's asking him questions. This guy comes up with her and he's drawing pictures hmm. like he's got, he's the camera guy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so she's asking him all these questions and uh, like, like, why did you make a three keel boat? Nobody's making three keels on the bottom, but why did you do that? <laughs> so he explained to her real fast. Oh, that's so it can sit level when, when the flood's over. And she kind of stops like, uh, that's a, Pretty good answer for what you say you're thinking is going to happen, but they still keep poking fun at him the whole time and making like he's a crazy old nut. Right. So, uh, but he has uh, in their their portrayal of it, he has uh, drawing boards and stuff like an engineer would have with things pulled out, you know, stretched out on on big huge desk. Like he has made plans the best he can plan. He's drawn it off, explained it to his family, and they're all cutting trees and logging this stuff, logging this stuff over. Yeah. To put together, hmm. but yeah, yeah, standing beside it, you see that it's a massive project, and easily it could take years and years and years and years and years and years. Yeah, so interesting. But uh, let's see, they had some. I would really say if you had an opportunity to go see it there, because some of the stuff they they explain, like right here, it's uh, God tells him to finish the ark to a cubit above. I've seen a translation, I believe, that says finish it to within a cubit above. Either way, this seems to be like a cubit being an 18-inch, uh, a foot and a half tall window around the top ledge. And then roof over that still. So it's still a covered boat, but it has a, a window of a foot and a half around the whole thing. That would, It's going to be pretty stinky with a bunch of animals in there for 370 days. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to stink, and then they're going to poop everywhere, and you're going to have to have ventilation and light. Yeah. So I've heard one of the one of the very first questions I ever heard that um, a question the Bible um, was a friend of mine who went to church with me, and he just kind of started questioning things, and um, and it was it was a really good question, um, but it was you know, okay, so you have two animals that need different climates to survive, say a penguin who needs cold weather mm-hmm. and a cheetah who out in the desert, just running around. Just in the hot, down, hot. So how do you have both surviving <laughs> on a boat? You know, and then you have, and then you have all these giant uh, animals 
what makes you think they're not going to eat the smaller animals? But that, those are his opposing questions. And my answers were, he didn't like my answers, but um, I figured, you know, you didn't have like thousands of kinds of dogs back then. You may have yeah. had one or two that had full sets of DNA. And then, you know, obviously when you, when you migrate to a certain location, you get less fur, you grow fur. There's certain things that happen for adaption. Um, for that we call it microevolution. Yeah, for animal yeah. to survive, and he was like, "Well, that answer's too easy." I'm like, "Okay, That's so you probably ne- Occam's razor watch through." <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, just because the answer's easy doesn't mean it's not true. Yeah, like I asked him a question, like you know, have you ever like went to solve a problem, or you ask out a girl, and she says yes, yeah. you're like, "Man, I, that was easy." I'm, I made it so complicated. Yeah, that was just so simple. I'm like sometimes we overcomplicate things because we want it to be wrong or we don't want it to be we this can't believe way. it would be that easy right yeah so um, as far as the animals not eating animals well if guy can bring them they to the, the ark either then hmm? they didn't eat the guy either <laughs> so obviously god's got something over the, the lions and tigers they didn't kill noah so I'm, they're not gonna kill each other i'm pretty sure guy can control the animals if he chooses to if you look through the bible Animals are always more obedient than man. <laughs> and just throwing that out there, we can look at it as we come along across animals, but they obey when God gives them a, a direction to go. Balaam's great, 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 great grandfather was probably on that ark. I mean, Balaam's donkey. <laughs> Balaam's sorry. donkey's yeah. great, 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 great Yeah, father. sorry. Not <laughs> even more specific. And Balaam's donkey was a prophet. Go figure. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> donkey the prophet talking animals <laughs> so uh what was i gonna say oh i was gonna say as far as like penguins penguins do not need cold to survive they are suited to surviving cold we have zoos in south carolina that has a hundred and something degree summers that these penguins and polar bears live through i mean it's it's this is again maybe that's too easy again, <laughs> but right. So one question I've wondered before, and actually I think I had uh, I think uh, Joshua I've told you about. Joshua was a a young kid and I taught in church years and years and years and years ago. Um, I met him when he was thirteen and knew him through college. Uh, he's already gone to heaven now, but he was a great devil's advocate. So he would pitch things like. Uh, what about mixing salt water and fresh water? Is that going to kill the freshwater animals or the saltwater animals? That kind of <laughs> stuff or whatever. So, uh, but this is the kind of question he would come up with is, uh, you see, let's see, Genesis 6, 20 and through 22, just read it. Of the birds, according to their kinds, of the animals, according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground, according to its kind, to every sort shall come to you and you shall keep them alive. I didn't, I'm sorry, I paraphrased that. <laughs> also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. So the question is, what about animals in the water like fish and whales, etc.? The flood is not going to do anything at all to affect them. <clears throat> that was where I had also posed to him possibly that fresh water would be an issue for dolphins or whatever. Saltwater animals. Right. That mixing could be an issue, but we don't see Noah keeping any of those on the ark, so I don't think they're an issue to worry about. Yeah. I mean, 
I don't think rain, I mean, I don't even know what kind of water rain is. Rain's fresh water. But, I mean, it drips in the ocean and, and it doesn't affect animals. Yeah, you're right. I mean, of course, uh, it's not dripping at that rate. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. same rate, but. Um, I mean, if God could split the Red Sea in two halves, I'm pretty sure he can split the salt water and the fresh water. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's a little stretchy, I know, but God does weird things. And stretchy. Stretchy. <laughs> Ooh, that's gooey. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say also, if God is flooding the earth to cleanse the gene pool of man and animals, they're all being included in this. From what we learned in Enoch, the detail about the fallen ones moving on to mess with the animals and whatever they're doing with them. And all these hybrids we looked at, these chimera, these mixed beings, if nothing was done about the ones in the sea, it really does kind of feed the, uh, and this is real far stretched, okay? <laughs> there is biblical backing for it, but all these uh, demonic kingdoms under the sea, demonic kingdoms in water, they're really linked with water in a lot of places. So just a, a, just throwing it out there. Yeah. We can talk about it sometime later. But Well, you know what? If, if naturalists can have nothing into something, we can have this little fresh water and salt water mixed <laughs> together and everything survives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we can. <clears throat> uh, let's see. You ready to go on to uh, chapter seven? Sure. I don't know why at the beginning of my notes for chapter seven, seven one, I go back and hit six nine. But <laughs> Noah was Zadik. He was righteous. Noah walked with God. Okay, this this just reiterates it. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Let's see. Again, he's talking about Noah and not his family. Yeah. I think I made these notes in a hurry, so. (laughs) You look through your notes sometimes, he's like, what does that mean by that? <laughs> uh, let's see. I'll just read out what it says. Genesis eighteen twenty three. Abraham asked God, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? So in Genesis 18, the word righteous shows up seven times. Uh, five times by Abraham, and then one time by God, and then one time by Abraham again. I looked at, at, at I look at often, Numbers, because numbers carry their meanings. Abraham saying righteous five times. What is he doing in that conversation? Five stands for grace. Abraham is begging for grace from God. And then God is the one who speaks the sixth time. God's reply to him basically is, uh, if there are any righteous, I'll, I'll let them live. But man's wicked. <laughs> and yeah. num- six is the number of man. Uh, seventh time, though. Is, is a completion. And we know out of that whole conversation, once it's done, the completion of Sodom and Gomorrah is also done. Right. Um, I don't know why yet. I have seen this in many, many places. I don't know why there's a whole number like seven, and you'll have six and one split up. Or you'll have five. And then, like right here, we have Noah, uh, excuse me, Abraham saying that word five times. It's split up by God saying it once, and then Abraham says it again. 
<laughs> I don't know why. There's always seems to be this uh, 70 and 2. Out of 9, there'll be 7 and 2. I don't know why. I see it all over the Bible. But there'll be this mention of this one word for whatever the total is. But towards the end of that total, there'll be this split where something is put in the middle. Look at the, uh, what is it? What's first in Revelation? Not the seals, not the bowls, but the, yeah, it's the seals. They break the sixth seal or the sixth, yeah, the one through six seals. Then there's a break. Then they break the seventh seal. Then there's the trumpets coming. They blow six trumpets, then there's a break. And they blow the seventh trumpet. So I see that little thing right there all throughout the Bible. I don't know what to say it means yet. There's been a lot of things where I've sat and thought about it. But, uh, that's a pretty decent reason I can come up with for that right there. I, I accept that as an answer. With this one, I don't have a clue why it's that way. <laughs> I see it all the time, so I can, all I'm saying. Six, seven. You got anything on one? Oh, no. Put two and three together. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. Any neat stuff you found? No, I was just, I was always curious as to why the seven pairs, but uh, I don't have really a, a reasonable answer. I looked in my, uh, my Talmud notes here. Um, one thing with the Talmud notes here is they have this uh, priest source and Yahweh source, which you probably heard of. Yeah. So you got this uh, telling of a story. And then you have a retelling of it, which is slightly different in detail. I've already said in the past what I think this is. They attribute it to two different sources. And Moses put these sources together. And instead of trying to reconcile the differences of details, he just put them both there. I see it more as, uh, like I've said before, and I use movies. You go watch X-Men. You see two or three X-Men movies. You know this character called Wolverine. And then after the movies where you've already met the character and you know him basically, then they come up with a prequel, which is after the, the main movies, they go back into his past. Right. And they write a sequel, which is actually a prequel. It's his prehistory. It comes after the main movie, so it's a prequel. Right. And it's giving you more details about who this character is. You've already know that you've already met the character. So we see Genesis one. God makes man and, and woman. And then we see Genesis 2. He makes them with more detail and gives us a little more story about it. So I don't see a, a problem with it, but they're saying, the uh, reason I bring that up is when I'm reading these these uh, Talmud or rabbinic notes here, they, they refer back and forth a lot sometimes to that. This little section here says, uh, Covenant would know, 19 and 20. Their note is, this contradicts 7-2, in which the Lord instructs Noah to take seven pairs of the clean animals and two of the unclean. <coughs> Their explanation is that clean and unclean refer to ritual categories and not to hygiene. <laughs> the terminology of pure and impure would be a less misleading. I don't see any real difference there as far as 
like syntax for you and I in English. Right. Pure and impure, clean and unclean doesn't really change my thinking about the subject, but uh, critical ex- critical scholars, and that, that being scholars who critique things, <laughs> not really, really important scholars. <laughs> critical scholars explain 6, 19 through 20 to the, uh, the uh, they, they say it comes from the priestly source, but 7, 2 comes from the J, which is the, the Yahweh source or Jehovah source. So that's their explanation there. Ah. Hmm. That's not. This is not a, a little difference that really bothers me a lot because we see yeah. him getting off the ark and doing a uh, sacrifice. You got to bring more than two if they're going to survive, and you want to do a sacrifice. Yeah. You don't want to bring unclean animals to sacrifice. You want to bring clean animals to sacrifice. Isn't it seven of of clean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's that's my explanation. Is God is planning on there being a sacrifice. And also planning on there being an extension of their their lives to continue on after the flood. So <laughs> yeah, that's why they're on the boat. But uh, verse four, um, the latter half of it, it says, "Every living thing that I, being God, have made, I will blot out from the face of the ground." Um, to me, it just reiterates that even though that you know, man and woman are having children and and male and female animals are producing their livestock. God still considers it his creation that, you know, he goes back yeah. to the song where, you know, God talks about how he knew us in our mother's womb, um, that he knows the beginning and the end here. Just here. That's why to me, it's an emphasis of the abortion issue, which we won't get into, but, um, that God values life. Oh, you already said it now. Well, <laughs> But God values life, and He sees every every birth as someone He made. So there's yeah. value of life there. Talking about animals and the value of life, and what God knows and sees. Uh, that's one of my favorite parts of Job huh. when He says uh, He's questioning Job back, like, "Do you see the deer when she squats down and gives birth out in the middle of the woods?" And I'm I'm misquoting that terribly, but <coughs> the picture it presents is that uh, these animals get pregnant and they run through their gestation period. And then when they're about to give birth, you ain't there, but I'm there. Yeah. I see it. I know about it. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is cool. Think about how he's, he's, he's got a hand on everything. Yeah. Caring for it. What I was going to bring out of seven, four was 40 days and 40 nights. So yes, we said, uh, it's, What's the word for it? Gondwana land is one of the names for the, the original, con- the single continent. What's the other one? Pangea. Yeah. It would be Pangea would be the uh, Greek, I guess. Roughly 300 million years ago. Sweet. <laughs> okay, so picking back up where we were then. Yeah. Uh, how do I get back to my notes? <laughs> okay, so I want to look at uh, 40 days and 40 nights. Just And, and we did talk about uh, Gondwanaland or Pangea, the super continent that everything was one place before the flood and that we are acknowledging most likely with stuff like the mention of Peleg when, when the earth was divided. Those things suggest that the Topography of the land is vastly different. 
But just taking as much as we can know, the highest mountain in the world right now is Mount Everest, 29,029 feet. Let's see. The detail in Genesis 7.20 says the waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. So 15 cubits is 22 and a half feet. Uh, let's see. If Mount Everest, let's say Mount Everest was the same then, best I can do. So I'm going to say that. 29,029 feet. They were covered by 15 cubits. 15 cubits, 22 and a half, gives you a total of 29,051 and a half feet. If we divide that by 40 days, 40 24-hour days, that's 1,210.4 feet per an hour. 1,210 feet per an hour. That's 20 feet of rain every minute. <laughs> Try to run from that. That's one foot of rain every three seconds. We're talking about deluge. <laughs> and don't forget the accumulation was helped by the fountains of the deep bursting open. Open. That's uh, Genesis 7, 11. So the, the fountains of the deep are bursting open. The floodwaters from the skies are falling down. Yeah. The accumulation between the both of them is uh, one foot every three seconds. If I did my math right there, uh, yeah, you picture that. There is there is no way to run from that. Yeah. <laughs> well, then where are you going to go anyway, I mean, if it keeps going? You're going to try to go up a mountain. Eventually, the water is going to come up the mountain. It's going to go 22 feet higher. Yeah. And uh, then the whales are going to come get you. The killer whales. The orcas are going to come get you. Well, the orcas are coming. The orcas are coming. Piranhas. <laughs> yeah, and piranhas, of course. Because piranhas and orcas always hang out together the, when you uh, mix fresh water and salt water. <laughs> now, I kind of wonder if Jonah was around this time, if he would have been saved by being swallowed by a fish. I didn't, <laughs> make, I didn't make the R because I didn't want to go. <laughs> But God's like, nope, I'm keeping you alive. I didn't want to go. <laughs> that all happened at the same time. Did, didn't it? You sure it did. Yeah, Tubal Cain was on the ark <laughs> eating a lizard. There you go. And then they kicked Jonah off the boat because there was a big storm. Like They found him on the 40th day. They kick him off the ark. The storm quits. And then a whale swallows him. And the whale holds him until Assyria is born. And he goes to Nineveh. <laughs> and then he marches around the city. And, and the walls, walls fall, fall down. down. <laughs> we need to write a book. <laughs> and turn it into a movie. They already wrote one that's confused that way. Oh, okay. Well, and 600 AD. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. What you got next? I don't even know what verse we're on. Uh, I was going to use the time marker here just to say how far we are from Adam. Verse 6, Genesis 7, 6, the flood came when Noah was 600 years old. That is the year 1656. That's all I have for that, but just wanted to mark it while we're going by it. I did a study one time with teenagers I was teaching uh, in the flood and basically marked out. Well, we're not there yet. I'm sorry. I'm jumping ahead, but <laughs> marked out in uh, 7 11 what the day was, second month, 17th day, or 17th, yeah, 17th day of the month. Yeah. 
So I just marked that with them. It was a, a Wednesday night class. I said, let's mark it today. And it was in February or something. I, I waited for this to come and started it purposely in February. So that it would be easy for them to see the month numbers. And then uh, I would go along and make sure I always marked time. So as we went through the next year, no matter what else we were teaching, I kept track of where we were at and I come back and teach something out of Genesis six, seven, eight area to give them a, a heads up. Hey, we're this far y'all while y'all have been over summer vacations with your parents. And now you're going back to school. This is what Noah and his family has been doing <laughs> just to give them a perspective of what, you know, so it goes, uh, over a year that next February, there we are to say, okay, everybody picture what you've been doing in the past year. Noah and his sons and wives have been scooping poop, <laughs> growing plants and everything and feeding animals. Uh, they've been doing a lot of chores, et cetera. Yeah. That's what their life's been. And they're about to open the door and get off in the sunlight, except on dry ground. <laughs> Pretty cool. But that's why I wanted to mark the date as we go by it right here. That's cool. Okay. This is a excerpt from the, the book I'm working on. Revelation 13, Antichrist study goes through the unholy trinity. Uh, in Revelation 12, you got the dragon, which is basically the unholy father, which is Satan. You have the, in Revelation 13, after that, you have the beast from the sea, which is the unholy son, or the Antichrist. And then you have the unholy false, or excuse me, the unholy spirit, basically, which is the false prophet. The false prophet points at the Antichrist. The, the the unholy father presents the antichrist like God presents the Messiah. The Holy Spirit points at Messiah, points at the Son. So the false prophet points at him. Either way, just some wording. I go back and forth a little bit between uh, Daniel and Revelation because they both contain some of these phrases of 42 months and what is it, 1,260 days? Yeah. And then times time and half a time. Shows up in different places, I guess. I'm kind of layering them. So Revelation 13, 4, and they, that being just people, humanity, they worship the dragon for he had given his authority to the beast. Uh, 13, 5, the beast was allowed to exercise authority. This is the authority he received from the dragon for 42 months. Uh, so this one can uh, has a mouth that utters blasphemies. You'll see this the same way with the little horn in Daniel 7, 8. But this one, uh, that's that's one of the places or one of the ways I link them together to be the same thing. This one has a mouth that utters blasphemies and is allowed to attack, to attack the saints and conquer them for 42 months. So what is this 42-month mark? Uh, let's see. The fourth beast that rises up out of the sea also has 10 horns. And the 10 horns are explained to be 10 kings. You see the same thing uh, with the the beast in Revelation 13, the one that comes out of the sea. In Daniel 7, though, the 10 horns out of his, as for the 10 horns out of his kingdom, 10 kings shall arise. He, that being the beast, shall speak against the Most High. So he's uttering words of blasphemy. The main detail I want to grab here is he shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for time, times, and half a time. So the newest horn from Daniel, this is circa 600 B.C., matches John's revelation, which is circa 90 A.D., about the Antichrist beast. 
that for 42 months he'll be allowed to rule. In Revelation, he's, he's ruling for 42 months. In Daniel 7, excuse me, Revelation 13, 42 months. Daniel 7, he's ruling for time, times, and half a time. So let's see. Revelation 11, we go back for just a little bit there. Uh, we mentioned a while ago the temple of God and the altar that's there, that it will be given over to the nations and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. God referring to two witnesses. He says, my two witnesses will prophesy for 1,260 days in sackcloth. So we have this 42-month period being mentioned that the Antichrist will rule. The Gentiles or the nations will trample the holy city for 42 months. It's times, time, and half a time that the Daniel 7 little horn Antichrist will rule. So times is a, uh, that's Hebrew. Remember we had in Hebrew at the beginning in Genesis 1, we had uh, Shemayim and Mayim. Then Elohim. We talked about im ending is a masculine noun plural ending. Ayim is a dualistic ending. It means two, like both. So I'm, I think I used this then, but all my friends are coming over tonight, both of them. <laughs> so all is a word which is plural. Both is a word which is dualistic. I had to use that because uh, that's one I got from Chuck Missler, but uh, I had to use that because we don't have a whole lot of dualistic words left in English that we, we retained. Greek also does not. There was a, a point where Koinonia Greek, which is what the Bible's written in, quit using it uh, before the New Testament was actually written. But in the, the Hebrew, it's still there. So you got times, which is dualistic. That means two. Time, which is singular, and half a time, which is half of a singular time. So two, one, and a half, three and a half. Uh, let's see. So the nations, the Gentiles, will trample the holy city for 42 months, and these two witnesses will witness for 1,260 days. The beast with the blasphemous mouth is allowed to war on the saints for 42 months. We also see the woman give birth, who gives birth to the male child fleeing into the wilderness for a period of 1,260 days. That's in Revelation 12, 8, which is times, time, and half a time, Revelation 12, 14. So you see that 1,260 days is split by times, time, and half a time. That gives you this period of, uh, basically you're going to divide 1,260 by three and a half. You're going to have to divide 42 months by three and a half. This all comes out to be a uh, a three and a half period, three and a half <laughs> year period, and they're thirty day months. They're thirty day months. If you have twelve thirty day months, you have a three hundred sixty day year. That's why I'm going back and grabbing this. Gotcha. Uh, it's a long explanation, I know, but we're going to the end of the Bible to explain what's going on here, possibly in the flood. So intending to say that, let's see, times, time, and half a time is intending to say two, one, and half a time. Half of a one literally means three and a half. So I'm just going, I, I just said, I'm sorry, I do this. <laughs> I'm just reading my notes so I don't skip something that doesn't make sense then. 42 months equals 1,260 days equals times, time, and half a time equals three and a half years. So if we divide 42 months by three and a half, we get 12 months per year. 
12, 60 days divided by 42 months gives us 30 days in a month, 30 days per month, 360 day years. Just like in the days of Noah. That's what I had originally written and uh, what I was working on here. So then I went back in my notes at that point, said Genesis 7, 11, the flood starts on the 17th day of the second month in Noah's 600th year. Uh, let's see, Genesis 8, 4, in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month. I'm sorry, I, I should give you 8 also, or excuse me, 8, 3. Genesis 8, 3 and 8, 4. At the end of 150 days, so keep that in your mind, what's that? How long is that? In the seventh month and the 17th day. So we start out the flood, month two, day 17. At the end of 150 days, we have month seven, day 17. If all the months are equal, it's not like our days, but if all the months are equal days, from month two to month seven, you get five months. If it's at the end of 150 days, you divide 150 by five, you get 30. These are 30-day months. So hmm. if you, this, this is based on a 360-day year then. Let's see. In present times, a Jewish lunar, lunar calendar has 354 days, and our solar calendar uses 365-day base. Neither of these fit 150 days, five months detail which is right there for you to see in, in the flood story. Yeah. Uh, five months of a 365-day solar year, if I include uh, if I include February being our shortest month, you get 151 days. Maybe we can say it's close. Maybe we should say it's rounded. We've already discussed rounded numbers in the Bible back in Genesis 5. Yeah. We don't believe in rounded numbers. So... I don't think it's a solar year because also the solar calendar was not actually accepted and used widely until the 1800s. So, and we'll, I'll get to a detail of that in just a moment that kind of explains that. So we can really take the solar year and throw it out the door. This is using February as a starting point because it is, let's see, the shortest month. Our second month is not the Hebrew calendar second month, by the way. Remembering Moses is writing this. Let's see, my detail about the solar calendar here, this is something I found at a, uh, I'm not going to read the whole website name. I mean, we can state it somewhere, but uh, this is from, it wasn't until 1858. This is about Pope Gregory. It's about the Gregorian calendar. It wasn't until around the, the 1582, Caesar's calendar had drifted a full 10 days off course, and Pope Gregory the eighth which it was uh, from 1502 to 1585, he finally reformed the Julian calendar. Julian from Julius Caesar. His calendar was off by 10 days in the 1500s. Julius Caesar, pretty good if, he, if he's actually the one that came up with it in his own time period. We're looking at 1,600 years. His track of time got off by 10 days. That's, that's pretty good. Wow. But the Pope decided he wanted to uh, fix it. By then, in the 1500s, we're talking about the Dark Ages, but also the Protestant Church was also up, uh, up and running. The Protestant track writers responded to Gregory's calendar by calling him the Roman Antichrist. Remember, we said the Antichrist is going to try to change the times. So here's the Pope saying, no, 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 I I'm trying to help y'all. 
<laughs> we're going to fix the calendar because it's broken. And all the Protestants said, no, he's the Antichrist. Now, just just kind of humorous there that happened to come up at the, at the same time. But uh, <laughs> it says, no, I'm trying to fix it, y'all. Just, just listen up. So the new calendar, as we know it today, was not adopted uniformly across Europe until well into the 18th century. So that, that's literally 1700, excuse me. Not 1800s, but 18th century. Plutarch writes in 75 AD, during the reign of Romulus. Romulus is the founder of Rome. And I think we discussed Romulus and Remus in the Nephilim last week, maybe. A little bit. Not much. They were the ones who supposedly were... Uh, they were at least breastfed. If they were not born by a wolf, they were breastfed by a wolf. And then they founded Rome. Because that's what wolf milk does to a man. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to discover a city, yeah. get breastfed by a wolf. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty simple. That's exactly what we're saying here. So uh, <laughs> It's not rocket science. <laughs> Sometimes the answer is just too easy, yeah, right? And you don't want to, don't want to accept it, but it's, it's you know, Occam's <laughs> Razor. There you go. <laughs> so let's see. During the reign of Romulus, they had let their months run on without. This is Plutarch writing this. They had let their months run on without any certain or equal term. Uh, some of them contained twenty days, others thirty-five, others more. They had a sort of. Uh, they had no sort of knowledge of the inequality in the motions of the sun and the moon. They only kept to the one rule that the whole course of the year contained 360 days. So Plutarch is saying they didn't keep track of things and fix stuff like leap years, etc. They didn't try to set them all up equal. They just basically said, out of all things, we're going to consider a 360-day year. So they count 360 days, and whatever the month is, they're starting over. <laughs> So uh, I did see in studying some calendars with this that there are some time periods or at least some cultures where 10-month years existed. And I had never noticed this before, but what is the ninth month named? September is the ninth month. Sept. Yeah, sorry. Seven. Sept is basically Latin for seven. Hmm. Let me look at it during calendar that would be a whole lot easier instead of trying to make it up over my head <laughs> if only i knew everything no if only you were breastfed by a wolf <laughs> let me sit here i'd be on a throne <laughs> instead of a couch <laughs> september is the ninth month oct octagon eight it's the tenth month nove novi is Different forms of that all through the Latin-based languages is nine. November is the 11th month. December is the 12th month. Desi is 10. Hmm. This used to be the uh, 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th months. Either there were a total of 10 months or everything has shifted at some point, and we still had 12 months, but they've shifted back, so these are now the, the beginning, which means January and February used to be 11 and 12. But whatever they ain't now, just just kind of in, interesting to show that the our calendars have changed a lot. Our concepts of tracking time has changed a lot. Hmm. 
So we're just looking at the concept basically that 360 day years were the beginning of time. 360 day will be at the end of time. Either that or the Antichrist, the little horn, will try to proclaim we're going to go back to the old ways. Most likely he would do that. Why? Old religions would be attached to 360 day years. So um, I am assuming the Antichrist is a pagan guy. <laughs> so he's going to go back to pagan religions and try to go back to a three or six day year. He's either, it's either going to, something's going to happen to change the time back to that, or he's going to proclaim it. That's, that's my, uh, that's my prophecy of the day. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Still on 360 day year. This is to make it uh, easy. In the Genesis account right here of the flood, Genesis seven eleven, month two, day seventeen. Genesis eight fourteen says in the second month on the twenty seventh day of the month. So month two, day twenty seven. We came from two seventeen to two twenty seven. If we have uh what we have right now, 365-day years, you look at one of our calendars, and we just say that's February 17th. Then you're going to have February 27th. All right. little difference because it's going to make it a 375-day flood, meaning they got on the boat, the flood happened, they got off and stepped on dry land, come out of the door, 375 days. <laughs> but with the detail at uh, 8, chapter 8, 3 and 4, at the end of 350 days, or excuse me, at the end of 150 days, seventh month, 17th day, we know there they're proving that's a 360-day year calendar that they're using. So that means that uh, chapter 8, verse 14, 227, month 2, day 27, would be a 360-day year plus 10, so a 370-day time from they got on the ark to they got off the ark. That's that's a long. If you if you were to mark right now three hundred, uh, mark this as one, and you decide for the next uh, year you're going to track this and keep keep up with it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you with our calendar though, you would add uh, five days. So, but I'm going back to grab the word bedit, which is uh, the bedit is the covenant, and the first one mentioned is we already said back in uh, where'd you where'd you note that six twenty ish. 18, I will establish my covenant with you. God says that to Noah. So before the flood, he says, I will. Oh, if I had scrolled down a little bit, I got to hear my notes. <laughs> 618, I will establish my covenant, 19, with every living thing of all flesh. Once here before the flood, and then during the flood, eight warn. But God remembered Noah and all the beast. Well, the word covenant's not there. I, I did two or three different little uh, searches through this section. So one's covenant, one's living or chai, chaya, the living beast. Because I think it's pretty important to see uh, just again that God makes the covenant with Noah and his wives and his sons and his sons' wives and every living thing on the, on the ark. So uh, just following my covenant then. 618, one time before the flood, he says, my covenant after the flood, because he said, I will do it. Then he has the flood. Then he says, 9-9, behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. 
9-11, I establish my covenant with you. 9-12, this is the sign of my covenant. 9-13, I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Interesting there, he makes a covenant with the earth. Hmm. 9-15, I will remember my covenant. That is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. 9-16, the everlasting covenant. 9-17, this is a sign of the covenant. So, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's a good complete number. One time, and here's your separation again, one time before the flood, <laughs> seven times after the flood. Don't know what, why the separation is there, but seven is the number of what? Completion. Eight's the number of what? Perfection. What's number eight? If everything is completed and finished and perfected and at seven, if you keep on going, it's a new beginning. Uh, we, I guess we can get to a long conversation there about numbers, but we'll get we'll get to it. <laughs> like five is grace, six is the number of man. Man can't accomplish it. Man goes the best he can do is six, and but he still falls short. God completes it at seven. New beginnings is eight. We didn't discuss this uh, last time at the beginning of Genesis 6. I didn't really want to get into it, but it's a quick thing for numbers. Uh, 6-5. 5 shows a need for grace. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. He's noticing there's a problem. There's a need for grace. Verse 6. And I know that these numbers are arbitrary, right? These these verse numbers are arbitrary, whatever. Um, <laughs> Verse 6, the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth. It grieved him to his heart. 6 is the number of man. The problem in verse 6, again, is man. It's kind of reiterating 5. Right. Verse 7, I will blot out man. It's a completion idea that's happening there. Uh, Verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Here's the one that's got the hope in the new beginning. So here's the interesting part. Um, the name Yahweh is in verse six. I was, that, I guess I should say that afterwards because I was looking at this one day, noticed it, and I thought, huh, a number of man six, 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 the flood to judge all man, chapter six, verse six. I wonder where the six is in this verse. So I started counting. If I counted right, and I'll encourage you not to believe me, but go count it for yourself, folks. Get out of Tanakh. Get out your uh, your Old Testament Hebrew. Learn the number uh, numbers that are associated with each letter. Aleph is one. Bet is two. Gimel, Delet, three, four. So if you go through and count all the letters in this verse, I think it was a five. <laughs> so I thought, well, that's not right. That's not what I was expecting to find. I counted it several times, this verse, and I call it adding down. If I take uh, all the numbers, and we'll use the name Yahweh for an example, because that's where we're going anyway. Yahweh is yod Hey vav Hey. yod is 10. It's the 10th letter. Vav is 6. It's the 6th letter. Hey twice is 5. It's the 5th letter. So you got 5 and 5. 10 plus 5 plus 5 is 20 plus 6 is 26. So you add that down, 6 plus 2 is 8. So the name of Yahweh adds down to an 8. 
8 is a, no, a new beginning. So if you take this entire verse and you add it down, you get 5. And I thought, that's not what I was expecting to find. And then I thought, said to myself, huh, there's the name Yahweh. I'll take that out and see what happens. So this verse adds down to a 5. What is 5? Grace. Grace yeah. If you take the name of Yahweh out, which adds down to an 8, which is a new beginning or a second chance or a resurrection, a revival, it's that, that new start idea. Take Yahweh out and 5 becomes 6. So this is chapter 6, verse 6, 6. Is the, it adds down to 6 if you add all the Hebrew numbers down of the letters. But if you put the name of Yahweh, which is a new beginning, a resurrection in there, you get grace, 5. Hmm. Awesome. Hmm. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so here we go, though, back to the covenant. Before the flood, he mentions it one time. After the flood, he mentions it seven times. Seven is completion. Altogether, eight is new beginning. Living thing, he mentions uh, the word chai, which we talked about way back in Genesis 2 and 3, I think. Yeah. Either way, chai is a, a living creature or a living thing, a life. One time before the flood, let's see, he mentions chaya in verse 8-1, which is during the flood. Then he mentions it in 8-17, Every living thing in verse 10, every living thing, every living, every beast, every beast. So three times in 10, 9, 12, every living creature, 9, 15, every living creature, 9, 16, every living creature. So who does he make the covenant with? Living creatures. Living creatures, one, two, three. Four, five, six, seven times after the flood. He says it one time during the flood and then seven times after the flood. He says the word covenant one time before the flood and seven times after the flood. Seven times for covenant, seven times for life. Chai, what do you want to count it as the beast or the living things is the word life. So that's just something that kind of uh, was, was pretty neat to me that yeah, it's, it's letter counting and number counting again. <laughs> but <laughs> it, it does contain messages. They are, they are there, you know. Thanks for listening to the Two Spies podcast with David and Mark. Don't forget to check out twospies.net for daily devotionals, writings on various topics, and separate Bible studies. Help us out by subscribing to the podcast, write a review on iTunes, and spread the word.